Bibles, turn with me to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6. I want to speak today on a line of the Lord's Prayer. It's Matthew chapter 6, verse 10, I think it is, where Jesus tells his disciples to pray, tells them how to pray, gives them what we call the Lord's Prayer, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, that, that famous prayer. But I'm interested in one line of it, verse 10, one line that says, your kingdom come. I wonder what the Lord's Prayer means to you, if it means anything. When I was a young guy, I never liked the Lord's Prayer very much. Uh, I was saved as an Anglican, grateful for the Church of England for saving me, as they gave me that blessing. But I never liked the Anglican prayer book very much. And if you're a good Anglican, you say the Lord's Prayer about four times a day. I found it a bit boring. I never really liked the Lord's Prayer very much as a young Christian. But I can tell you, I've changed my mind. And I've come to believe that there is nothing in the Bible more wonderful than the Lord's Prayer. It's an amazing prayer. Although I think we don't see it very easily. To begin with, we don't see how amazing it is. You'll notice it's very short. You notice that every line is short. Our Father, two words, uh, two or three words. Hallowed be your name, four words. Your kingdom come. These little short sayings of two, three, four, five words each. Six, six of them. It doesn't seem a very profound, complicated thing. Yes, what I think Jesus was doing when he gave people this Lord's Prayer was not so much that he was giving them a prayer to recite. I don't think that's the important thing. You can do that, it's all right. But uh, it's not the most important thing. I don't think he was so much giving them a prayer to recite as giving them what I would call the spirit of prayer. When we, when we pray, what sort of things ought we to be praying for? What, our, what should our prayers be like? I think what Jesus is doing is giving, giving us what I would call the spirit or the heart of prayer. When you're praying, what, the first thing you need to know is when you pray is that God is your Father. If you don't know that, you're, you're not really able to pray very boldly at all. You're scared of God, or you feel God's rejecting you, or you have a guilty conscience, well then, you can hardly pray. When you can know that God is your Father, and you can come totally and boldly, confidently, not any old Father, he's a Father in heaven, Father full of glory and majesty, when you can come to God as your Father, then it gives you great boldness and confidence and freeness in prayer. First thing you ever really want as you come to the Lord is that God should be glorified. I don't know how you pray, or whether you pray much at all, I'll talk to you about that in a moment, but uh, I don't know whether you're full of your sense of your own needs and your own problems. You notice in this famous prayer, the word I does not come. The word me does not come. The word my does not come. This, this prayer is not so much praying for me and my problems. Though it is doing that, it's there, but it's not, that's not the focus. The word is our, our Father, not my Father, our Father. Forgive us our trespasses, give us our daily bread. You're not just praying on your own. You're thinking of the entire church of God as you pray. It's not my, it's our. And you're praying more for God to begin with. You're praying more for God than you are for yourself. Your name be hallowed. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. You're not so much praying what you want. You're praying what God wants. Finally, you get to praying about yourself. It's an amazing prayer. But it's got all the principles of prayer. It's got the things in it that ought to be on our heart as we pray. Well, as I say, I'm interested in, in the second line, your, your kingdom come. We could look at every line, and it's the kind of thing where you can meditate upon it every day of your life, and you'll never get to the end of it. You'll see more and more and more as you ponder these different sayings and phrases in the Lord's Prayer. But, uh, but let me begin by saying, by, by asking, how much do you pray? Do you pray? 
pray very much? If, if you tell me, no, not very much. Well, I sympathize, I feel for you. Prayer is the toughest thing there ever was. If you find prayer easy, then you've probably never prayed in your life. If you find prayer easy, you don't even know what prayer is. If you've never had a battle and a struggle and a fight with prayer, well, then you don't know what prayer is. Prayer is you and all your weakness, your sinfulness, your past and everything that's in it that's not been quite so good, your future, your weakness, your, your uh, smallness, as it were, in this vast world. It is you coming, standing before the holy God of the universe. If you don't find that amazing, you've not even seen what prayer is. Someone like you should stand before God. There's a famous song. I'm just wondering whether I've got the ability to recite it or whether I'll forget it halfway through. I think I probably will. But uh, there was a famous preacher in London years ago who wrote a, a hymn called Eternal Light. Can I remember it? I'll try until it gets dark. You'll forgive me. How's it go? Eternal light, eternal light, how pure the soul must be that placed within your searching sight it shrinks not but with calm delight can live and look on thee. When you're coming to God, who's the eternal life, how can somebody like you stand before God? Oh, how shall I, said a, what was his name? I've forgotten his name now. Pastor of a church in the middle of London. Oh, how shall I, whose native sphere is dark, whose mind is dim, before the ineffable appear, and on his uncreated spirit beam. It goes on to say, how can I stand before him? It goes on, the angels, the spirits that surround your throne may bear the burning bliss. But that is surely theirs alone because they have never, never known a fallen world like this. How can you stand before God? The angels can do it, but how can you? How can you stand before God? And that song goes on to say, there is a way, there is a way for man to rise to that sublime abode. An offering, Jesus. An offering and a sacrifice. Holy Spirit's energies, an advocate with God. These, these, and he goes on to say, that's how you can come into the presence of God. If you've never found prayer a kind of battle, if you've never been intimidated, and you think, how can I stand before God? If you've never had that kind of feeling, you don't even know what prayer is. Prayer is someone like you, someone like me, coming and standing and talking to a holy, pure, sin-hating God. Only one way in which it can be done. The only way in which you can come and stand in the presence of God is by the blood of Christ. The only way you can stand before God is because Jesus has taken your sin. He bore, he carried his sins on his body on the tree. That's what we've been celebrating in the Lord's Supper. He carried and bore our sins in his in his body. God, God took our sins off of us and he put them on Jesus. He put them on Jesus' body. He bore our sins in his body on the tree, says the Bible. And if they're on him, they're not on us. If he became guilty, then we're not guilty. If he carries our sins, then we don't have to carry our sins. That's the only way we can come before God. You try any other way, you, you don't get through. You, you can't get through. You can't have any assurance. You come in the name of Jesus. You tell the Lord, Lord, I'm not coming in my name. I'm coming, I'm coming because Jesus died for me. I'm coming in his name. I'm coming by his blood. That's the only way you can pray. But then I ask you the question, how much do you pray? And as I say, if you say to me, not very much, well, I sympathize because it's the one thing that the devil doesn't like. There's such a being as the devil. Evil is not it. Evil is he. 
mind as a being back behind all wickedness and sin and evil. You know about Professor Joad in the Second World War, there was a great philosophy before I was born, but uh, before any of us were born, I think, a long time ago, there was a, prof a famous professor here who used to speak on the Brains Trust, as they used to call it, on the BBC. He was an atheist professor. Didn't believe in God at all. But he changed his mind. And what made him change his mind was the evil of the Second World War, the evil of Hitler and the murder of Jews and that sort of thing that was going on in the 1930s. He came to believe that, that evil is not an it, evil is a he. He came to believe in the devil before he came to believe in gods. And when he decided that there's a, a spiritual battle going on and, and there's some sort of mind behind the evil, the evil of the, of the Nazi regime, he, he changed his mind about, about the existence of evil and that led him to change his mind about God. And finally, he believed, ended up believing in God. Evil is not it, evil is he. And in this Lord's Prayer, it will end up by saying, deliver us from evil, which you should translate, deliver us from the evil one. It's the last thing you ever pray for in this amazing Lord's Prayer. But that, that, that comes into the question of prayer. If you tell me that you don't find it very easy to pray, well, you need to remember that the, the one thing that Satan hates is prayer. The most terrifying thing for the devil is when you stand before God and pray, because that, that's the one thing where the devil's kingdom is going to be pulled down. The devil hates prayer. And if you ever try to pray, you'll find there's a kind of opposition. It's a strange thing. Have you, ever, have you discovered this? You're, you're talking to your friends, and you, you chat over the phone for somebody for half an hour, or you talk to your friend next, next door over the garden wall, then you go to pray, suddenly you don't feel like prayer. You've been talking for half an hour. How come now, now you can't even keep going for a minute? What, what, you know, what went wrong? The answer is the devil doesn't mind you talking to your neighbor, but he doesn't mind you talking to God. And he'll throw a kind of cold blanket over you. And if you ever have to, if you ever seek to pray and to be much of a man or woman of prayer, you'll have to learn how to, to what I call, fighting through the inertia. You, you don't feel like doing anything, and you feel a kind of damp cloth over you. You have to ignore it and fight, and, and, and fight through it. And the proof that it's the devil is that as soon as you do fight through it, it goes away, which is, which is a great mark of the devil. Resist him, he'll flee from you. Just, just ignore him, and he, goes, he, he gives up on you. And that's the proof that it is satanic, that if you ignore it and pray anyway, don't feel that prayer. One day you try to pray, you don't feel that prayer very much. I'll tell you what to do, you just tell the Lord. You say, Lord, I don't feel much like praying this morning, but I'm going to pray anyway. I'm not coming in the name of how I feel, I'm coming in the name of Jesus. And, and, I, and I'm just talking to you whether I feel like it or not, because I have a right to come, Jesus died for me, I'm on the cross, I can come whether I feel like it or not, and you push through the inertia, and it goes away, and you can pray. That's how, you, that's how you, you actually go, when, when the devil throws that cold blanket over you, that's how you break through. You resist him and ignore him, carry on in the name of Jesus, and suddenly you find you can pray easily after all. Learn how to pray and give a lot of time in prayer. To be a battle, not easy, and uh, don't, don't get discouraged. And get a bit of a discipline in your life. You can pray, of course, you can pray at any time of the day. Easily, just as you're walking on the street, or if you're with your friends, or, or speaking on a bus or in a taxi, pray anywhere. But as well as being able to pray anywhere, you should also have times of prayer where you give yourself to the Lord to seek Him and ask various things. But then the question comes up as, as to what should be in your prayers, and that's where the, the Lord's Prayer is so very vital. Well, I want to focus, as I keep on saying, still trying to get going. If you keep, if it is. 
this Lord's Prayer is telling us the kind of themes that ought to be in our prayer. First of all, you pray for the glory of God. You're not praying for yourself, for the cushy life, for an easy time. You're praying for God's glory. And you're praying for God's kingdom. We'll come back to that. Then you're praying that God's will might be done. But then when you're praying for God's glory and God's kingdom and God's will, the question arises, who is it that gets God's glory? Who is it that brings God's kingdom? Who is it that does God's will? The answer is you. And the reason why you pray for yourself is because really that's the the natural thing to do. When you're praying for God's glory and God's kingdom and God's will, you ask the question, well, who's going to do all these things? How are all these things going to happen? The answer is they're going to happen through you, not going to happen through anybody else. Jesus is not walking around on planet Earth anymore. He's, he's back in, in heaven in his body. He's, he's, he's here by the Holy Spirit, but he's not physically walking around Israel anymore. The angels are not preaching the gospel. It, it is we. We're the only people who can share God's kingdom, extend God's kingdom, preach his word, share our testimony. Nobody else can do that. And so if we're praying for his kingdom, the, the next logical thing to do is to pray for the people of the kingdom, which is us. And so what do we need? First thing we need is we need to stay alive. So we begin, give us our daily bread. You might think that's a bit unspiritual, that when you're praying for yourself, first thing you pray for is some bread. That, that might seem a bit unspiritual. But actually it's not, it's highly practical. Because of being in God's kingdom, serving God, first thing you need to do is to stay alive. That's some daily bread and uh, enough to keep you going in life. A bit of cash and finances. You can pray about those things. You begin with daily bread. And then the trouble is, you've got a bad past. You've Sins. How can a sinner like you serve God? So the next thing you better deal with is your past. Forgive us our trespasses. You better get that past clean and got rid of. Then when you've done with your present, your daily bread, so you can stay alive, your past, your sinfulness, next thing that bothers you is your future. Because you go out there and there's a big enemy out there, Satan. So you pray, lead me not into temptation. Let me not be overwhelmed by the pressures and temptations of life that come upon me and deliver me from the evil one. So you're praying for yourself as children of the kingdom. Well, let's come to the, the particular line I'm concerned about, the kingdom. It's the biggest way of talking about the gospel. I think we often talk about salvation. When we talk about the Christian life, we say, well, I got saved. Jesus forgave my sins, and uh, I found Jesus as my saviour. And it's wonderful to, to experience God's salvation. We like to talk a lot about salvation. All right, that's okay. But there is a bigger way of talking about salvation. And the bigger way, and the way that Jesus used of talking about salvation, is to speak of kingdom. Jesus didn't say, I'm coming to bring salvation. When Jesus came, Matthew chapter 3 and Matthew chapter 4, when Jesus came, it says in the Bible that he came, I'm reading Matthew chapter 3 verse 2, he came saying, repent, repent. He didn't say, repent, for salvation is coming. Repent, for salvation is, is on its way, the salvation is at hand. He didn't say that. He said, repent, for the kingdom is at hand. The particular word that he used was the word kingdom. And you may ask why that is, and I could give you a few reasons, but uh, I'm short of time. But um, the kingdom is the bigger way of talking about salvation. You can talk about salvation in many ways, but one way of talking about salvation is the kingdom. Jesus is the king. It's the same thing. The reason why it's the same thing is because kings deal with their enemies and save their people. If Jesus is your king, then Jesus is your saviour because the king saves his people and puts down his enemies. So it's the same thing. And uh, there are reasons why in, in Israel they talk about salvation, about kingdom outside of Israel. Paul and the others talk about salvation. There are reasons for that. But it's, it's the same thing. And so when we pray, your kingdom come, 
just another way of saying salvation comes, your plan for the world, may it come into being, everything that you're wanting to be done in, in this uh, history of the world that we're in, may it happen, may it take place, may it take place in me, may it take place in my life, your kingdom come. It's a big prayer. You couldn't get a bigger prayer than that. The biggest thing you could ever possibly pray for, that the entire plan of God might come about. And that's, that's the point. The point is that when you pray, prayer is putting the, can I put it like this? Prayer is putting the gospel into request. Prayer is taking the things that you know God is planning to do and praying that he will do them. Have you ever noticed this, this uh, rather, is it strange? I was going to call it a strange thing, rather surprising. Maybe you're not, you, you don't notice it to begin with. That God tells you he'll do something, but he doesn't do it until you ask him for it. Even though he tells you he's going to do it, he doesn't do it until you ask him. And uh, there's a verse in the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 39, where the prophet Ezekiel God is speaking through the prophet Ezekiel. And God says, I will do it. He's talking about the restoration of Israel. I will do it. I will do it. But I will be inquired of by the house of Israel to do it for them. I will do it, but I'm going to, they're going to ask me for it. I'm not going to do it until they ask me. I will do it. Ezekiel chapter 39. I will do it, but I will be inquired of by the house of Israel to do it for them. And that's the way life often is. Sometimes you're waiting for God to do something. God's not going to do it until you ask him. Remember James chapter 4, you have not because you ask not. You've done a small thing, you're short of daily bread. What have you thought of asking for some daily bread? You need a bit of, a bit of a cash in life or you better go and ask the Lord. Ask him, ask him. He won't do things for you very much unless you ask him. He'll, he'll be inquired of. And it's true of the whole of salvation, the entire plan of God, the entire kingdom of God coming in this world happens in response to the church's praying. He'll not do anything unless we ask. He'll not bring spiritual revival to Britain unless we ask a lot. You need to ask. Even Jesus has to do it. What is Jesus doing now? I don't know what time it is in heaven, but it's uh, 11.35 here, according to my watch. I'm just on Kenya time, actually. But uh, what's Jesus doing now, whatever time it is in heaven? I can tell you he's praying, he's, inter he's interceding. He's there appearing before the Father. And he's presenting himself and his blood. He's saying, I died for these people. And he's interceding. He ever lives to make intercession for us. 24 hours a day, 24 hours in heaven. All the time he's putting his blood and his plan before the Father. He's saying, I will that they get to be with me where I am in glory. That's why you're, that's why you're safe. Jesus is praying that you'll get to heaven, then you're going to get to heaven. Jesus always gets his prayers answered. That's why you can't lose your salvation. How can you lose your salvation if Jesus is praying that you're going to get to heaven? It's quite impossible that God should ever turn down the prayer of Jesus. Jesus is interceding for you. But the Bible says that even Jesus is told to pray this way. God says to Jesus, ask of me and I will give you the nations as your inheritance. The Bible says that all nations are going to be reached by the gospel. The reason why all nations are going to be reached by the gospel is because Jesus is asking that it will happen. Ask of me, says the Father to the Son, ask of me and I will give you the nations as your inheritance. Even the nations are not going to be reached unless Jesus prays about it, which is what he's doing in the heavenly glory. And it's also true that we pray with him. When you pray, you're praying with Jesus. Indeed, Will you understand me if I say your prayers ride, ride piggyback on Jesus' prayers? 
Jesus carries your prayers into heaven. He's interceding for you. You, you pray, anything that, that you pray you shouldn't pray, he cancels it out. Anytime you, you get it wrong, he corrects it, and he, he presents your prayer to the Father. And if you don't pr- quite pray the right thing, Jesus says, well, you didn't quite get it right, but this is what he means. And, and your prayer gets answered and corrects, corrects by Jesus. Your prayers ride upon the intercession of Jesus. That's why they're acceptable. Uh, who are you? Your, your prayers can't be acceptable in themselves. They're, they're full of uh, errors and mistakes. and uh, No prayer is 100% pure. But they, they ride on the intercession of Jesus. They ride on the prayers of Jesus. And Jesus makes them acceptable. So the whole kingdom of God goes forward as people in various situations are praying. Your kingdom come. And when you pray... I'm, I'm trying to persuade you to take up the need to pray in your life a lot. I'm not giving you any rules or regulations, but I'm trying to persuade you to pray a lot. I don't know how much time you should pray. When you read the history of the church, you find people pray for an amazing long time. You find Luther prayed three hours a day. I don't know how he caught the bus in the morning. How, how, how do you pray? How, how do you find time to pray in this busy hectic, pressurized world of ours. I'm amazed we can even find Pine Benedict, let alone three hours. But uh, the great saints, they pray for hours every day. Well, I don't know that I'm making any rules for you, but uh, you, you should try and pray a lot. I don't make any rules for you because I uh, don't even know how to do it. We live in such a pressurized world. Maybe the old days are gone forever. I don't know. But uh, you've got to find time to pray. I don't care how you do it, you've got to do it. I think it depends a lot on how you're made physically. Some people, I'm, I'm one of them, and people ask me what time I get up. Well, I, if you ask me what time I wake up and what time I get up, I wake up at about 7, I get up, I, I get up at about 7, I wake up at about 10, three hours later. Um, maybe, maybe you're like that, those sort of people are not very good at praying in the morning. Other people, uh, when 9 o'clock comes, uh, their, their eyes are droopy, they don't want to go to bed. You know, you know, they're, they're people who get tired earlier than I you better find out when, when you're at your best. Some people wake up fresh as a daisy early in the morning. Others stay up after midnight and they're so lively. They, they wake up and everybody else is going to sleep. And, uh, well, I don't know how you do it, but find the time when you are fresh. Find the time when, you've got a, when you're sort of un, unbusy and nobody's pressurizing you. Maybe you've got a nice long lunch hour somewhere. Oh, well, take it, use it. I don't know how you can do it, but do it. Find a time that you can block out and map out for God. And give that time to God and pray. It will be a tremendous blessing. And you'll make an amazing discovery. You'll discover that God answers prayer. You'll discover that he hears you. You pray, you pray about some little thing and you hardly even thought that God was listening. And then to the next day, God's done something. And you go, oh, oh, the Lord really does answer prayer. And you, start, you make a discovery that God hears you. It's a wonderful discovery to make. He hears you. He answers your prayers and he he blesses you. In fact, he answers your prayers so much, you better be careful what you pray for, because you might pray for something, he give it to you, and then you think, oh, no, do I really want that? And you're not quite sure whether you want it. God hears our prayers. Even ears, which is a strange thing, you can think about it, he even hears our prayers sometimes to punish us. Did you know that? You demand something which is not right, and you keep on badgering God and demanding it, God might say, well, all right, then you really want it, I'll give it to you. But then you change your mind about it. He, he gave them their desires and sent barrenness into their souls. You know that verse in Psalm, whatever it is, Psalm 72, I think? You can even answer your prayer. You, you, 
you insist and demand something which is wrong, he might even give it to you just to see you shouldn't be praying for it. God hears our prayers. He gives us the desires of our hearts. Sometimes he even does it to rebuke us or correct us. But he hears our prayers. And if you learn to pray, there's a few conditions. I'm not saying it's totally unconditional, because it's not. But if you pray with faith, if you pray with humility, to forgive everybody everywhere, notice this Lord's Prayer says, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive others. You have to forgive everybody everywhere. And nothing makes God listen to you than when you have a spirit of forgiveness. Forgive everybody everywhere. Ask for forgiveness yourself as you've forgiven everybody else. And you put your request before God. And you will be amazed at how, how much the Lord answers. Sometimes he, he even answers before you've prayed. You're just about to pray for something and the answer comes. And you think, oh, well, I haven't even prayed yet. Lord, how, how do you answer me so quick? And the Bible says, even before they, before they speak, I will, I will hear them. You know that verse in Scripture? He even answers before you've even got to what you're going to ask for. He sees what's coming and answers it before you've even prayed it. When you really learn how to pray in the name of Jesus, by faith, trusting in God, taking a lot of things to him, you'll discover how much God answers prayer. I won't say you can switch on everything automatically, because you can't. Don't, don't pray for a new Mercedes by tomorrow morning. He'd probably say, just wait a bit. But... Uh, but he does hear your prayers. He does answer your prayers in an amazing way. And you're, you live that way. You live by trusting in God. Sometimes, you, you, have you ever had this experience? You go through a day and every single thing goes wrong. Has that happened to you? It happened to me recently. I set off the plane from Nairobi. And my, my mobile phone goes and I drop this and I lose this. and that, Everything goes wrong. Something, oh, I better start praying. <laughs> everything goes wrong. You're not even praying about it. Try just saying, oh, Lord, this is a bad day for me. You better help me. Suddenly, everything begins to go clear again. God is hearing your prayer. You lose your keys. You ever lost your keys? And you spend hours looking for your keys. You can't find your car keys. And you've got some desperate appointment. Your car keys have disappeared. Not even thinking about praying about it. Well, you better pray about it. I rather like what Richard Dawkins, the great atheist, said. You know, Richard Dawkins, who hates the Christian faith, he's a great atheist. You Christians, he says, you Christians, how is it that God gives you a parking place where he won't, he won't sort of heal, heal uh, desperately poor people in Nigeria somewhere? To which the answer is, I haven't the slightest idea, but he does give me car, park, park, car parking places every day in Nairobi, and that's the biggest miracle there ever was. <laughs> I mean, even things that you think God ought not to do, he's, he's more generous than you really conceivably imagine. You know, there are big problems in our world, I don't know why God is slow in dealing with them, maybe he wants us to deal with them. God does answer prayer. So we, we, but we've got to have this, this big mind. Do you notice how this prayer's got a, a kind of big sweep to it? Your glory, your honor, your kingdom, your will. These are big things that we're praying for. So what are we praying for when we pray for the kingdom? Well, we're praying for the entire plan of salvation might come about, that nations might be reached, that countries might be changed, that we ourselves might be coming under the rule and the reign of God. You see, the kingdom is not just a place, not just a territory. The kingdom is the rule of God, the reign of God. It's God acting in power. Remember what Jesus said? He said, if I, by the Spirit of God, cast out demons, he would come and he would cast out demons and get rid of this and deal with this and deal with that. If I, by the Spirit of God, 
cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come among you. He is the kingdom. When he's acting, when he's working, there's the kingdom. The kingdom is where the king is. Jesus is the king. And where Jesus is, there is the kingdom. Where Jesus is moving, Jesus is acting, Jesus is doing things, that's the kingdom. He is the king. And so you're praying that God may, in the Lord Jesus Christ, act and move and bring salvation into your life and you may inherit the kingdom which doesn't just mean get saved. I think often when we read those phrases about inheriting the kingdom, we think it means being born again or being saved. Oh no, it's bigger than that. Inheriting the kingdom is coming into all that God is wanting to do for you. Inheriting the promises, inheriting the kingdom. Often it has to do with trouble. We, we, we must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom, says a verse in the Bible. He's not telling people how to get saved. He's telling people how to come into all of the purpose of God for their lives. There are many, many, many things that God wants to do for you. He wants you to inherit the kingdom. Forgiveness is just the barest beginning. Most of us, what we want is our sins to be forgiven. When you get saved, the first thing you want is your sins to be forgiven. That's all right. That's the first blessing there is. When you come to salvation, first thing that ever happens to you is God forgives you your sins. But that's only the barest beginning. That's just the starting point. God's got much more to give you than just the forgiveness of your sins. He's going to empower you. He's going to equip you. He's got a purpose for your life. You've got gifts. You've got callings. There's something, there's something that God's going to do with you. There's going to be a calling upon your life. And you're to inherit the kingdom. God's going to work powerfully as the king in your life. And so when you're praying your kingdom come, you're praying that you might inherit everything that God has got for you, and you're praying that, that, that history may go forward, that nations might be reached, and you have some sort of involvement in that, and the whole world is, is reached, and that God, as it were, conquers all the nations. The earth is full of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. All nations are reached. The command of the Gospels, go make disciples of all nations. I think we don't always read it properly. I think we sometimes seem to think that means go into all the, a few of the nations and make one or two converts. It's not go into one or two nations and make a few disciples. It's go and make nations into disciples. You make this nation into disciples. When you finish that one, go to another one, and another one, and another one. There's about 230 of them. You make all nations disciples of Jesus. You reach the whole world. And God, Jesus is the head, the head of the church. And everything that's happening in our world is being ruled by the king. And what's happening in Britain today is, is, rule, is being ruled by Jesus. And history never, goes, never turns back upon itself. Don't ever look for the good old days, look for the good new days. The good old days have gone. The past is gone. The old, old, old Britain's never going to come back. Don't bother about old Britain, it's gone forever. Find a new Britain. Find a new purpose of God for this nation, every other nation. And go after it. Find what God is doing. I love it that all these Muslims are coming to Britain. Hallelujah. Praise God. I mean, this, this makes me really rejoice. We've been trying to get into Muslim countries for years. Now it's cheaper on the airfares. They're coming to us. What, what, a chance to win, what a chance to win Muslims to the Lord. The easiest place in the world to reach Muslims is London. If a Muslim gets saved, there's nothing, you can do, nothing anybody can do about it in London. If you get saved in Mecca, you won't even survive 24 hours. This is the place to reach Muslims. What's God doing? Why is our country being invaded? If you talk this way, I don't know what you do. If you do, if you talk this way, here's the answer: God is in charge. Look at history. Look at the history of, of days gone by. Every time there's some kind of invasion, the, Brit- the British invaded Africa. The big colonial movement. Well, we got rid of the British out of Africa, but they left their language behind. 
We can go anywhere in Africa and preach in English. You don't have to learn a language to preach the gospel in Africa. And English and French is enough. It's because only they left their language behind. The Greeks conquered the world and spread their language everywhere. The entire New Testament is written in Greek. Paul went everywhere, didn't have to learn the language. The Romans built their roads. I'm a bit jealous of Paul. He never had to get a visa. I mean, I, I'd go places, I had to get visas all the time. Paul was a Roman citizen. He could go anywhere. Absolutely no, no trouble, trouble traveling. Those Romans built their roads for the soldiers, but they were used by Christian preachers. They didn't think they were building those roads for Jesus, but they were. When the Greeks were spreading their language, they didn't think they were doing it for Jesus. They were. When the British were conquering India and Africa, they didn't think they were doing it for the gospel, but they were. Everything that's ever going on is for Jesus. He's the head over all things for his body, the church, to find out what he's doing and say, your kingdom come, your kingdom come. May I be, may be, a, may I be a worker in your kingdom. May I go out with you and conquer the world. This is what we're praying for. It's a big prayer. Not some little prayer. Oh, I've got a sore toe. Please heal, please heal me by tomorrow morning. And I'm like, your sore toe. Go out and inherit the kingdom. Go out and conquer the world for God. Pray, pray big prayers. You can pray little, little ones as well. But don't forget the big ones. Pray your name be honored. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. May, that may nations be reached. So you're praying a big prayer when you pray for the kingdom. Let me try to work it out in detail. You're praying, first of all, then, for salvation to come to the whole world. You're praying that God may be the king of our entire world. And uh, I think if you study the history of, of these things over the last century or so, in days gone by, people have been very pessimistic. I would say it became pessimistic somewhere between 1789 and about 1832. 1789 was the date of the French Revolution. 1832 was the date of the Reform Bill here in, here in Britain. And everything was changing between those, between those two dates. The Napoleonic Wars, the Battle of Waterloo, Trafalgar, all of those things were going on. Women were given the vote. They really thought that was the end of the world. And uh, Roman Catholics were getting free. Atheists were allowed in Parliament. People thought the whole world was coming to an end, and it looks like it. And so people got very pessimistic. No hope unless Jesus comes, they said. A kind of gloomy non-expectation came into the Christian church and various uh, preachers encourage that, the Schofield Bible and that sort of thing, where we're very, very pessimistic. It's about time we got all of that out of our system. That never, ever was right. It's not in the gospel. It's not the Bible at all. And uh, it wasn't the end of the world. On the contrary, missionaries were poured out of Britain in the 19th century all over the world. Far from being the end, it was one of the world's beginnings. And the, not only did the French Revolution take place in the 1780s, the, the missionary movement began in the 1790s. William Carey began to go to India, and, and Livingston went out in the 19th century, and uh, the, the gospel began to go out in all of the world. It wasn't the end of the world. It was the beginning of, of a, a massive outreach. Whatever you might think of the missionary movement, you have to admit it succeeded. Every nation, almost every nation in the world has heard the gospel through those, those guys. What, what courage and boldness they had. You know the life expectation in West Africa for the average missionary in the 19th century was about 18 months. The average missionary who went out to West Africa, not not East Africa or Central or South or West, the average missionary that went out to West Africa didn't live more than 18 months. And they knew it. Some some guy who, some man or woman who told his parents, you know, I want to be a missionary in Africa. And the parents would, would go pale and white and say, oh no, oh no, 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 you can't do anything like that. They knew that they probably would never see their child again. It was a tough thing to go out and reach the gospel. 
in the 19th century. He, he, did, he didn't hop on a, on a jumbo jet every time he had a cold and fly back to a doctor in Britain. You know, you couldn't do that in those old days. Yet those people, they suffered so much. Why, why did they do those things? Because they knew that Jesus was going to conquer the whole world with the gospel. He was reaching every nation. And, and, and they knew it, and they didn't care whether they lost their lives. You go to, early, you go to the earliest mission stations in, in Africa, I think of the one in Swaziland. You go to the, the earliest missionary sites in, in Africa, the first thing you notice is the number of small graves. Their children all died. You'd be some missionary who would have six children. Five of them would die. And you go to some, you go to some ancient, earliest mission station, and the graves are still there. They suffered so much. They didn't care. They laid down their lives for Jesus. And they knew that they were conquering the world. And they, they went out in the name of Jesus, touching every, every area of life, transforming the world, and, and, and the results are still here. 16,000 people per day get saved in Africa. The gospel is deteriorating here in Britain. It's not deteriorating in other parts of the world. Other parts of the world is growing like, like wildfire. In some of the most obscure places, even, even in Muslim countries, the gospel is spreading and spreading. It's reckoned that a lot of Muslims are secretly Christians. It's only a question of time before they come out into the open. The gospel is going out, and we're to pray, your kingdom comes. Partly that salvation might go out everywhere. But also I think we're praying for ourselves. We're praying for our own character. We are to be members of the kingdom. When you read your New Testament, uh, I can't do it this morning because we've not got so much time, but um, read, read your New Testament. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. Blessed are men when men and women persecute you, because theirs are the kingdom of heaven. That's the mark of being in the kingdom. That unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not, be, you will not enter the kingdom. Which doesn't mean you won't get saved, but unless you get to a level of spirituality, which is more than those Pharisees, unless you're, unless you're pure in spirit and pure in heart, unless you're a peacemaker, and unless you're seeking the kingdom of God, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, put it above everything else, unless you do that, unless you go beyond the Pharisees, you will not enter into the kingdom. Get to a high level of spirituality, a high level of obedience. Be pure in spirit. Put the kingdom first. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Remember, Jesus is talking about anxiety. Don't be anxious about your food, your clothing, what you should put on, what you should wear. Seek first the kingdom of God. And God will, God will add to you all these things. Anything, else you're, anything you're worried about, it, it, it'll handle itself. If you will seek first the kingdom of God, put the kingdom first. Seek the kingdom of God first and his righteousness. Get to a high level of spirituality, a high level of prayerfulness. Pray your kingdom come in the world and in me. God will hear your prayer and your life will change and you'll find something of the power of God. The kingdom is God's power. The kingdom of God is Jesus acting as a king. You'll find this kingly royal power. You see, the Bible calls Jesus the king of kings and the Lord of lords, doesn't it? Have you ever asked the question, if Jesus is the king of kings, who are the kings that Jesus is the king of? Have you ever asked that question? Twist the answer is me and you. You, you are the king that Jesus is, of, is the king of. He's the king of kings. We're the kings and he's the king of kings. We're the lords. We, we reign with Christ. We are seated in heavenly places. We conquer sin in ourselves. We conquer the world. We are the kings that Jesus is the king of. He's the king of kings and the lord of lords. And we're the, lord, the little lords and he's the big lord. We're the little kings and he's the big king. Ever thought of that? 
king of kings, and we're the kings that Jesus is the king of. We reign with him. He makes us kings and priests unto God, says the Bible. And we go out inheriting the kingdom. He shares his kingdom with us. And if we seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and oh, I could go on, I must stop, but uh, I could go on. It's a kingdom of simplicity. Unless you're like a little child, you will not inherit the kingdom. It's a kingdom of forgiveness. How many times should I forgive my brother, said, said, Jesus, said Peter to Jesus? Seven times? You know, this guy's sinned against me a lot. So this is the seventh time he's done that. I'm getting a bit fed up with him. Seven times? He reckons that's a big, a, a big time, to, a big number to be forgiving your brother. Jesus says seven. Oh, no. Seventy times seven. 490, and then you start all over again. No, no, seven, seventy sevens. Any, any number of times you need to forgive your brother, forgive him. A kingdom of forgiveness, a kingdom of love, a kingdom of contentment, a kingdom of grace. God's kingdom is a kingdom of grace. He's so gracious. A kingdom of love. It's spreading around love. If you haven't got to love people, your life is, is not worth very much. It's more important than anything else. Remember what Paul says, the man has all gifts, all prophecy, all knowledge, but doesn't have love, he's worthless. If he can move mountains, but he does not got love, it's worthless. Even if he gives his body to be burned, you can have great sacrifices. But if, say, great sacrifices are not made out of a spirit of love, oh, well, it's a waste of time. You're not, you're not achieving anything, really, in the kingdom of God. Oh, no, the kingdom, the kingdom of grace, the kingdom of love, a kingdom of mercy, God's kingdom, totally different from all other kingdoms. And when Jesus comes, you remember that Satan offered him a worldly kingdom. He said, he took him up to the top of the temple. He said, look at all these kingdoms. Look at all these worldly kings. I'll give them all to you. Only you'll bow down. There are rival kingdoms, kingdoms that are wicked and evil. Satan wants to tempt us with rival kingdoms, kingdoms of money, kingdoms of wickedness, kingdoms of corruption, kingdoms of self-centeredness. Oh no, don't go for those ones. Go for the kingdom of God. Kingdom of love and mercy and peace and salvation and grace is what we're here for. It comes by prayer. Do you pray? I'm asking you, do you pray? If you don't pray, you won't get much of these things. Pray. Lord, I want your name to be glorified. Lord, you're my Father. You're my Father who's in heaven. Your name be hallowed. Your kingdom come. That's to be the content of your praying. I'll stop there for this morning. You can go on working out the rest of the Lord's Prayer. Work it out. God's will might be done. Your bread might be given to you. Don't, don't, don't say with bread that's too primitive, it's too worldly, I can't pray for those things. Oh no, pray for everything. If you're lonely, pray. You don't know how to pay the rent, pray. You need to pass your degree, pray. pray. Pray about ordinary things. Don't be so super spiritual, you don't pray about ordinary things. Pray about little things, things, things you think, well, I don't think God's bothered about that. Oh, he is. Pray about ordinary things. Pray to be forgiven. Have a clean heart where you feel accepted before God. Pray to defeat the devil. Pray to be a child of the kingdom. Serve him in his kingdom. Seek first the kingdom of of God and his righteousness. And all these things, anything else you might be worried about, all these things shall be added to you. Learn to pray. Seek his kingdom. Make it the theme of your praying every day of your life. Let's stand and let's pray as we move on this morning. Our Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus and we are so grateful that you allow us to come. We're so grateful that you're our Father. We're so grateful that we can call upon you and look you in the eye 
and call you Father, even though we're so weak and we've done a thousand things that we ought not to have done. We thank you for the blood of Jesus Christ. We thank you that when we confess our sins, you forgive us and cleanse us and wash us, and we can still stand before you. Pray that every one of us may learn how to live this Christian life and pray and be men and women of prayer and see your kingdom come and your will be done in our lives, in Britain, and in the whole world. Do it, we pray. Teach us this way. Teach us to live this way. We ask it in Jesus' amazing and mighty name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.